Smartcast. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Get Real with Dr. Ronay, Doctor of Clinical Psychology and Trauma Specialist. Dr. Ronay Calvert is Executive Director of Live Treatment Concierge Services. Live Treatment provides a unique wraparound approach of concierge services in person and virtually, specifically tailored to each client with a level of effectiveness that transcends any other program. In her daily experience of guiding clients to recovery and emotional freedom, Dr. Renee Calvert gets real to shed light on subjects that have remained in the shadows with courage and compassion. Joined by Bindi Height, international spiritual coach and mentor from Ethical Change Agency, with the mission to inspire change makers and holistic healers to create collective change to make the world a better place through the power of human connection, purpose, and podcasts. It's time to get real. Hey, Ronay. Hey, Bindi. Now, uh, we have a special guest with us today, one who's been on a podcast with us before, Dr. Laurie Beth Bisbee is a GSRD gender, sex, relationship, diversity therapist, sex and intimacy coach and psychologist whose expertise lies in working with individuals, couples and groups to explore their sexuality, gender and relationship styles, discover a deeper level of sexual congruence heal from past trauma, as well as create more meaningful, pleasurable, exciting, and authentic intimate relationships. Welcome, Laurie Beth. Thank you. Good to be here. So, so happy to, to be speaking with you again. I can never, I can never get enough of you. <laughs> One of the things that uh, we've always uh, talked about when we get together is, is trauma and um, how we help others through it. So, um, you know, one of the things that, that you both cover as trauma specialists is um, helping people to get past their triggers and, and stop reliving the past um, and actually getting on with living their life and having fun. So, uh, Laurie Beth, what are some of the t- things that you do to help people through those, um, those traumas? Well, I use a couple of different trauma-specific methods um, to help people get through trauma. One of them is called traumatic incident reduction. I co-authored a book on that a million years ago. It is one of my favorites because um, it works with most people, um, but it's intense. And I always tell people that trauma work is hard work, right? And then you finish it. So my goal um, is that people move through the work to the point where they don't have active triggers. And whatever they came with is now in the past. 
And I give people the example, you know, we can, I can ask you, you know, can you remember an exam you took when you were in school that you were quite anxious about? And most people can find one. And until I ask them about, say, can you tell me about it? They'll tell me about it, but they're not panicking like they were at the time of the exam, right? They're not upset like they were at the time of the exam. So say, well, if you're really anxious and really upset, why aren't you upset now? Well, that was in the past. So if that can be in the past, why do we believe that any other trauma can't be in the past? Why do we believe there's something special about things that we would normally label catastrophic that means that they cannot be finished? You know, I think that's such a valid and important point because I think that for my clients and and for just many people in general, I think it, I think there's a misconception that to not hold on to the triggers, to not, to not embrace them and hold on to them and almost cherish them in a way is to discredit them. It's as though holding on to them is to say, this was meaningful. This happened to me and I'm giving it validity and importance by holding on to it. Because if I let it go, it feels as though I am, it feels as though I'm, I'm, I'm giving it less importance in my life than it should. And the reality of the situation is the opposite is true. It's something to, it is extremely important, but it's something to move through. It's not something to hold on to. The holding on to the trauma is not, we're choosing the wrong, we're choosing the wrong thing to hold on to. It's not holding on to the trauma. It's holding on to the experience of moving through the trauma and realizing who you can be and are today. That that's the gift at the end is, is what, what we, the experience that we created out of something that was catastrophic and what we learned about ourselves and our resiliency that's that's what we hold on to. We are not our trauma. And I think for a lot of trauma survivors, it feels as though to move through it, to get to the other side of it, is to say, oh, that wasn't really that important then. And no, you're you are not your trauma. That doesn't define you. You're, you're to, to define yourself as a trauma survivor is um you know, there's a, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of importance and a lot of pride in, in survival, you know, all, all kinds of different survival, you know, whether you're a cancer survivor, um, you're a rape survivor, you're an incest survivor, you are, you know, you're a survivor of anything traumatic, right? The idea is there's so much pride that we take in survival, there's more on the other side than just surviving. Yeah. I mean, for me, one of the things, one of the first talks I gave around this was called from victim to survivor to beyond. Yes. And the idea that being a survivor has such cachet because no, because people can't imagine that there is something beyond because they're told there isn't something beyond. I remember being told that I was going to have to manage my trauma and that, You know, I would get to a point where my trauma was manageable, where my symptoms were manageable. And I remember looking at the therapist and saying, I don't want manageable symptoms. I want no symptoms. Are you telling me I have to live with this? That this can't be finished? 
Um, and unfortunately, and then that was um, that was in the 80s. And then um, people started to think that you could finish things for a while. And now we have everybody's being diagnosed with complex PTSD now. And, and, and again, we're talking about managing it and we're focusing it on permanent neurological changes that means that people can manage things. And so we're sticking people in a survivor place without the understanding that actually they can get through it and then have life. Yeah. And, and that's the important bit. You can have a life after this with that in your past, which doesn't diminish what it was or the intensity or the significance. I mean, um, for me, I tell people, you know, when it's over, when you stop wishing it never happened. And it's just a part of your past. I don't wish anything that I've been through never happened. I don't think if only I could have blah, blah, blah this is the way my life developed and I've learned so much and gained so much and become the person I am, not only because of the positive experiences that I've had, but also because of the catastrophic experiences that I've survived. And so one of the things I learned was I can survive and I can survive anything. Once I learned that, that became a skill I had, not a place to stand. Absolutely. And I think that there's a lot to be said about that because one of the other errors I think that, that many of us can make in going through the trauma process is believing that we prove to ourselves how strong we are and that we have made it through by subjecting ourselves to the same situations repeatedly to show ourselves how strong we are, that I'm over it, I got over it. So I'm gonna enter the same situation to show myself that I am now over it. No, the idea is I'm, it's not, I'm so strong. I'm going to now re-traumatize myself to show myself how strong I am. The idea is I'm so strong. I now know how to protect myself, how not to expose myself to those things, not because I'm triggered constantly, but because I've learned that I don't need to prove to myself or anyone else that I'm over it by re-experiencing it. It's there being, being over it means exactly as you put it before, the beyond. And why in the world would we ask people to do this work? This is hard work. Happiness is hard work. Happiness, self-love, self-worth, all of that comes with hard work. And it's a daily practice. It's not, it's a daily practice. Why would I ask somebody to join me on the journey of digging deep and and opening wounds that have to be opened in order to be cleaned out. It's a painful experience. It's also a cleansing experience. And why would I ask someone to do that if there was never a beyond? That's like asking somebody to come live in a sewer. And I'm not interested in helping people, you know, experience trauma as something that they live and breathe. It's like, you know, let's, let's take you down this journey of digging deep and you're just gonna keep digging. There's never an end to the digging, you know, which is very different than to say that working on ourselves never stops. But the yeah. working on yourself is fun. It's, it's, it's supposed to be that eventually being your best self 
feels like embracing joy feels like it's not, it's not work to love yourself. It's, it's, it's work to prioritize yourself. It's work to find those moments and to have those boundaries that means that your self-care is important. And it's a continual reminder to yourself that you are worthy. Um, our, we, we naturally don't go there all the time. You know, it's so easy to put ourselves last on the list, but absolutely it's it, the idea of it though, is if you're going to experience something like this and get to the other side of it, then get to the reward. The yeah, reward, the reward the is you're part. free. The sad yeah. part is that so often people don't get to the reward and they get, um, they get to this place where they've, they they come into me telling me they they don't need to work on their trauma because they they they're done with it. I mean that's usually what happens. Um, because I specialize in sex and relationships and also um, in alternative relationship styles, a lot of people will come to me for that. I also specialize in trauma, so I do get people who are coming straight for the trauma. But about a third of the people who come for relationship work, I take a history and I'm like, yeah, this is what you need to be working on. Because I don't see the point of not flagging it up and they'll, I'll get, well, I've had therapy and, and I know how to manage that now. Mm-hmm. I see. So what do you mean when you say, you know how to manage it? Well, I know how to manage my triggers. I avoid these things. And I, you know, when this happens, I have the self-soothing skills and these things. And I'm like, yeah, well, if you're still having to manage it, it's not finished. Right. And that's common sense. And yet they look at me like I have, you know, grown an extra limb or, you know, got an eye in the middle of my forehead or something, something strange, because they've just been told that it's not possible to, to get to any other place. So I'll say, well, I'm willing to work with you on it. But then, you know, we're not talking about um, doing an hour a week for the next X number of years. Now we're going to do this in a relatively short period of time. I prefer when people work with me intensively. I prefer when they commit, they're willing to commit a week to me and we, that's all we do. And then we reassess where they are at the end of the week or, uh, or they're willing to do a couple of sessions a week, which will probably end up being a couple of hours at a time because of the mm-hmm. way I work. So that sure. you're actually doing something chunky. So the world doesn't have a chance to trigger every other box while we're in the middle, you know, mm-hmm. and lets us finish things and move to the next thing. Um, but people don't want to commit to that because they've been told that they'll be re-traumatized by talking about it and digging deep and looking deep when actually they're being re-traumatized by doing this drip feeding thing where, you know, they talk for 20 minutes about the trauma once a week and the rest of the time they're pulling themselves back together. I think that the way you just talked about how you set up your sessions, and by the way, uh, we haven't discussed this before, but I do the exact same thing. Um, the chunking and the the digging deep and the really, you know, that 50 minute hour or whatever the case may be, it just can't apply to things like this. Um, you can't, I liken it to someone being on a surgery table and, you know, then saying, okay, uh, we're just going to have you get up and walk now, you know, and, you know, you have to, you have to be skilled and you have to know that you're leaving someone in a safe place and that they're closed up and they're safe until your next meeting when you're, when, when it's a deliberate choice to go back in 
and reopen and then safely close and knowing how to safely close so that's not dripping all over your life when that session is over. Because as we know, the therapy sinks in and really takes effect after the session, not in the session. It's what our, it's what our brains and bodies continue to do once we're done talking. And, you know, to, to, to harken back to something you said a few moments ago about the talking about it. When someone says, you know, I've done therapy before, I've done this before, oftentimes what they're taught, what they're saying is, I've talked about my trauma before. I've had my, I've, I've spoken to a professional and I've had this identified as trauma. Someone has told me, oh, those things that happened to you are traumas. This is your diagnosis, complex PTSD, generalized anxiety disorder, attachment disorder, whatever the case may be. This is your diagnosis. It's a result of the trauma that you've been through. Um, knowing, identifying trauma is step one. Talking about it, owning it, having a narrative about it, being able to discuss it. Yeah, that, that's essential. That's not the work. The work no, is not discussing the trauma. Well, they don't understand also that, you know, that you, I always say this, you just have to get out all the stuff that, that is in there. Right. So you're going to talk to me about it. And if you're not going to cry, when you feel like crying, we're going to be here for a really long time because I need you to contact whatever's there. I don't care what it is. doesn't matter to me. I don't have a preconceived notion about how, what you're going to bring or how you're going to bring it. And it also may not end up being the thing you think it is. Like you've had this little box put around a trauma and that's the way you think about it. You've had your diagnosis and you've had talked with somebody about it, but we may start talking and something else might come up as we're talking. And I need you to tell me about that too. I need to know whatever comes to your mind because that tells me where to go. So I say, like, I'm the technician here, right? I'm holding that space for you. I'm asking questions. I'm acknowledging what you say. I'm not interpreting it. I'm not judging you. I'm pointing you in directions based on what you tell me. So if you're not telling me, then I might go down a, a rabbit hole. And, right. you know, you don't, we don't want to do that because it's a waste of your time and money and energy. Well, right. I think what you're, I think what you're saying is so very important because oftentimes I think as clinicians, we can be perceived as, and, and some of us perceive ourselves as being in the driver's seat, um, of a client's life that, that we're in the driver's seat and the client is the passenger. No, the client is the driver. The person is the driver and the most important sessions I think I've ever had, I also never come in with a preconceived notion, but some of the most important sessions I've ever had is when someone starts out saying to me, I don't really have anything to talk about today. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not really, I, yeah, I just, nothing really is going on for me or whatever. Well, and then, and then bam, it's like, okay. You know, something that to them seems totally left field unrelated. It's like, really? There's nothing to talk about today. Interesting, you know? And so it, it's so amazing how our brain is designed to protect us, right? We go in believing there's nothing to talk about because 
subconsciously we know that if we just let ourselves go and free our minds and free the judgment, we might actually talk ourselves into the truth and relate something, you know, something that seems totally unrelated is absolutely related. Yeah. I'm amazed how often that happens, but also to say to people, look, some of it's because we as humans think in terms of events, but sometimes it's the themes that connect things, not the events. So if I say to you, if you, if you ever had something like this happen before, if you're not telling me whatever comes to mind, you might be intellectually going, you know, if you, let's say you're talking about a rape intellectually going, well, I've never been raped before. Therefore, no, I haven't. Mm-hmm. Right. But what mm-hmm. comes to your mind is an, is an incident where you were humiliated when you were four. Yes. That isn't sexual. Right. But you were humiliated. It's connected because you felt humiliated. It doesn't matter. It's connected. And we need to look at that as well because it's connected. And so if you're getting rid of the emotion, stored emotion, charged emotion, however you want to refer to it, if you're getting rid of all of that. You're going to need to get rid of all of that from the, from the theme, everything that comes to mind before you're able to let go of the whole thing. And, you know, I, I think the very notion of actually the intentionality behind letting somebody know from the get-go that the intentionality of the work is that we work now because we're going to play later for the rest of our life. And, and the idea, the idea is that, that going into, going into the therapeutic process with that in mind, the idea that there is an end, the idea yeah. that there is that you can heal. And that you're, and I, I mean, the number of times I say to people, I don't work with people long-term. I tell people that now. Why? Mm-hmm. Because for the, for the most part, I don't. I've got one, two long-term clients right now. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. One is doing a personal development thing that they are going to do forever. They're going to have me, they'll go and they'll come back forever because they like me as their sounding board for personal development. Sure. Right. That's different. And one is in transition. Understandably, this is longer term work because transition is a long process and they started the transition while they were with me. And so that makes sense. So that's a long term client. But everybody else, I tell them up front, I don't work with people usually for more than eight months. If I have my way, and I can talk them into making the investment now instead of spreading it out over a long period of time. I work with them in short blocks and then they go away. They may never come back. Sometimes people come back when other things come up. Mm -hmm. So I don't know about you, but um, state dependent learning is a thing that I find fascinating. And what that is, is that in some state dependent memory, I mean, so in some situations, we only remember and have access to the memories that go with that state. And people talk about this a lot in terms of substances. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, if you've ever been drunk, 
there will be things that you can remember when you're drunk that you don't remember when you're sober. And it's quite bizarre. People can pick up a conversation they were having the last time they saw you when they were drunk. Yes. And if you actually spoke to them sober, they have no memory of any of it, but they can pick it up the next time they're drunk. But there's a lot of things things that do this. So for example, pregnancy can bring up all sorts of memories that a woman had no access to prior to that. So they couldn't do the therapeutic work until either they decided to try to get pregnant or they did get pregnant. And suddenly all the stuff around mothering is really accessible in a way it was never before. So that's why people come back because something new has come up or there was a trigger we didn't get because they didn't have access to it at the time. So I warn people, you might need to come back and don't worry if you feel like a bit of it's come back. It isn't the whole thing. We, We just missed a branch of the tree and a root. Don't worry about it. It's not a big deal. So they're willing to do that. But the idea is that I'm not going to, I'm not going to have them for five years, six years, 10 years. That's not what's necessary for them to heal and go and have a life. And that that's what I want for them. I want them to go and have a life and have joy and fun that, and live in a way that doesn't involve being careful all the time to not set off the explosions under their feet. Right. To, to, to live, to live without limiting themselves, mm-hmm. without the limiting beliefs that I can't do this. I can't, you know, I, I can't, this is going to, this is going to be painful. The belief system that we hold about, I can't, or I'm not, I'm not strong enough, or I'm not capable enough, or I, you know, it's very, very different than protecting yourself and keeping yourself safe from not re-experiencing and walking yourself into situations where you are going to be hurt. That is part of self-love and that is part of self-care that we learn in this process. That's very different than not taking any sort of chance at life or any sort of risk that is positive to find yourself, to find, to find out who you are beyond the things that have happened to you. Those are events that happened to you. That, that is not you. Those are things that have affected you. Those are things that have changed you, transformed you. But so what, what lies on the other side of the transformation? And the idea that that's where the goal is at the outset of the process I think sets up the whole thing very, very differently because someone who believes that there's an end to this takes that with them. You know, we believe what we are told. If we are told that if we, if we are told by who we believe is the driver in our life, our clinician, our doctor, our, our healer, that this is something that you are going to be managing for the rest of your life. We prepare ourselves mentally for war. Yeah. Yep. And you so know? you get, get people who are living in a state of siege constantly and consistently. Um, and they learn certain skills, but they don't learn other ones. You know, so I end up, I'm amazed how often I end up teaching people what, what, what we think of as basic skills that they've never learned because the things that they've learned is how to be hypervigilant and, you know, but they haven't learned how to reality test. So they don't make the same mistake twice. Right. They haven't learned how to trust their gut because that was 
bred out of them basically through their through their trauma history. So they haven't learned how to discriminate in that way. They look to everybody else to tell them what they should be doing, which is part yeah. of the reason go back in into those situations because they're familiar. So I end up teaching them how to go back to, to trusting your gut. And those are the things, the things that I mean certainly that I didn't learn coming out of an environment where I was traumatized. And that sets you up for more trauma. Absolutely. Absolutely. The, the idea that for so many healers, we instill dependency. Um, and there is that level, right? That you, you, you rely on us and we are dependable and we are reliable and we will show up and we will hold the space and we will believe in you until you can believe in yourself. The idea is though, you internalize that this is yours. This is the gift you gave to yourself. I didn't heal you. I didn't, I didn't, I'm not responsible for your success. I'm not responsible for you moving to the other side of your trauma. I'm honored to be a part of this journey. But the idea that this journey has an end, and even if we are talking again in a year or two years or whatever the case may be, by God, we are not talking about the same shit. We are yeah. not talking about the same shit. We're not revisiting over and over again the same issue because no. we've learned, you know, and some of it honestly is, I think, you know, I can kind of tell by the way you, you just speak, you, I, you and I, I think are so authentic that I'd like to say that I, I can say it about me. I think I feel comfortable enough saying it about you that wherever you met me, if you met me in a session, if you met me on a TED talk, if you heard me on a podcast, if you met me at a concert, you'd be meeting the same person. I don't really change. Um, obviously, you know, holding the therapeutic space is different, right? But, 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 I, but I, I am an authentic human, so I, I don't change who I am. How I speak, who, how I come across, the way in which I talk, I, that is just, that, that is, it, I'm as, I can't not be real. To me, that, that is to honor me. Is to, is to be my authentic self. And I can't ask someone else to do that if I am actually not modeling it for myself. So the idea really is in being that authentic, sometimes it is about, you know, you kind of feel like sometimes you're punching your client in the face a little bit, you know, and it's kind of like, hey, you know what? Um, we're not going to continue to bash. You know, do you, I want you to understand what you just, you know, like, without shame, let's just recognize what's going on here. You're in a loop and somehow this is serving you to be in a loop where the, de what defines you and what you need to continue to recapitulate is this trauma and this story and this narrative that this is never going to end. And you know what, as long as you say, it's not going to, it's not because you are telling that to every cell in your body. Every cell in your body is listening to you say, this is never going to end. And until you say something different, you can guarantee yourself that it's never going to end because you've given yourself, you've, that is the direction you've told, you've told your car to turn left. It's going left, you know? And so just by the definition of no, that's not, that's not the goal here. And I'm also going to call you on it. When I feel like what we are doing now is devolving 
from the healing process and we're getting into self-flagellation and we're I'm, I'm, that, I'm not interested in that for you. And what, one of the, I think because of the way that I work, the structure doesn't allow for a lot of that, mm-hmm. but there are occasions where you get somebody doing that. And I mean, one of the things I'll say to people, I'll correct them every time they tell me that it's, that it's, it's never, and I'll never be the same. And I look at them and I'll be like, well, yeah, I'm not the same as I was yesterday. So, so what do you mean by that? What the fuck? Right. right? Excuse my language. Right. You know, don't what, excuse what you, it. Yeah. What does that actually mean? You'll never be the same. You'll never be the same from yesterday. You'll never be the same from the day before. So what you're saying is that this was a huge, humongous thing. Say that. Tell me that. Don't tell me. And I'll never be the same because you don't actually want to be the same. It's not possible anyway. Well, and it will never be over. Well, for fuck's sake, what are you doing then? Why will it never be over? Why would you want to perpetuate this to the future? Well, because that's how it is. Well, no, it isn't. Actually, it doesn't work that way. If we keep telling ourselves that that's the path we're going to go on. I'm never going to have. And so I really stomp on absolutely. It'll always be this way. No, it won't. You know, in five minutes, it's not the same as it was. And I'm really obnoxious about it because people learn to say it that way, to look at it that way, to come up with these absolutes, to not have room for change. So sometimes when I'm feeling generous, I'll ask if they're afraid of the change, right? Absolutely. That may be what's going on. It's certainly scary if you have built not only a whole identity around surviving, but often I see a lot of clinicians. So you've built a whole career around this. What are you going to do if you're okay now? I remember when I was doing this weird business course, <laughs> pardon me if I end up listening to it, but I'm <laughs> going to say it because it was. Anyway, we're, you know, they're talking about marketing and stories and how important it is that you tell your story. Nobody ever expects a story to be like mine, right? Right. Mine's pretty catastrophic. And I have to say to people, you know, this isn't for the faint of heart. If, if you want to hear this, I'm happy to tell it, but it isn't for the faint of heart. And, and so I, I've done this course and they then told me to tone down my story. I said, so you want me to be authentic and tone down what I've been? Okay. Yeah, no, that's obviously not going to work for me. Right. But one of the problems was that when I tell the story, I don't have loads of emotion with it. So I was doing another thing. I was being filmed for a thing. Um, it's for a masterclass. And, and one of the things that the person said to me was that, um, one of the other instructors had, you know, got come to a natural emotion and it was wonderful. And so I should allow myself to be completely authentic. And I was like, okay, completely authentic is you don't see lots of emotion. Why? Because it's done. It's so done. It's dead, right? There is no negative emotion left because it's no longer live. Now, I can explain that to you. I can put some emotion in it to make people more comfortable. But what you're not going to see is me in floods of tears, remembering what I experienced because I worked on it to the point where it was finished. And now I'm looking back at it. You're not going to re-traumatize yourself or, or win an Oscar as acting as a woman who is still traumatized when you are no longer 
traumatized. You know, it's like, it's, it's kind of like, you know, going back to the idea of surgery, right? When you have something removed and it is removed, let's say it's a growth, a cancer, whatever the case may be, right? You're never going to be the same again. Hmm, true. Okay. Yeah. Cause you, you, now you're a cancer survivor. Okay. But you extracted that, that tumor, you extracted that cancer that's no longer part of you and no longer lives in you. And so now you're talking about something that once was. And the idea of talking about something that once was is yes, this is what I walked through, but to act as though I have cancer still today is to dishonor all of the joy that comes from not having it anymore. That's the whole idea of extracting it. But people don't believe, people find it hard to believe that you've been traumatized if you can't give them that that show. And so I've I've been known to be taught, giving a speech about trauma, talking about exactly what we're talking about now, but not talking about my own history because it wasn't relevant to do so. With someone in the audience will raise their hand and go, well, what do you know about it? You've never been through a fucking thing. And I say, well, I've written a whole book on what I've been through, but okay, do I need to, do I need to give you that cred as well as the fact that I've got, you know, all these years of working with people and, you know, the doctorate and all that shit. Do you want, do you want that too? And it, it, like the woman was like, yes. And so I said, okay. And, you know, okay. So I'm going to give you guys a trigger warning. I didn't really think this was relevant, but if you really want the details and started to tell what my history was and like, People were really freaked out. I'm like, but you see, you, but you're doing so well. That's what freaked them out. But you're okay. You're talking about this. You're okay. You're working with people and you're okay. You're out there living a life and you're okay. It's like, yeah, I had good therapy, right? The purpose of which was to help me to put this behind me. That's the purpose of good therapy. Good therapy means If you have a diagnosis, the idea that, and I know that for some things, this isn't, we don't yet have the tools to do this, but for most things, if you have a diagnosis, the idea of good therapy is to end up not having the diagnosis anymore. Right. I no longer have post-traumatic stress disorder. I haven't had it since 1989, right? When I went through the process that allowed me to put it behind me and it cured me of the post-traumatic stress disorder. I know I use the C word. People freak out when I use that. No, I, yeah, absolutely. I don't have depression. I had depression in 1988 and 1989 and I no longer have depression. I haven't had depression since. Why? Because I did the work that I needed to cure that. Now, does that mean I could never get depression again? No, it doesn't. Some other circumstance in my life could hit me in such a way that I become clinically depressed and I would then have to work on that. Absolutely. But I, these are the sorts of things, particularly post-traumatic stress disorder, which is a walking wounded disease. People with PTSD do not sign themselves into hospital. They mostly have pretty full lives, but they have these tremendously horrible symptoms that they take with them everywhere. So the idea is to get rid of that and not have that label anymore, not to take the label, which is popular right now, every label becomes an identity. And now we take the label and the identity into the future with us. That's not the idea. So that brings up something for me. And the reason that it's such a problem to let go of it is because when we're in that process, particularly if it takes a long time, and for many people it does, 
It did for me because, you know, you don't necessarily find the right type of work. You don't find the right type of therapy or you're not ready for it. So it's a process. People identify as survivors. That becomes an identity. And they end up with a group of people around them who are also survivors. And they're included in the group. And they feel good about themselves and what they're trying to do. And they're supported by people who understand what they've been through when other people who are not survivors don't get it. And so that group becomes very important. What happens if you're no longer seeing that as your first or foremost or big identity? Then people feel like they lose the group. Yeah. They lose yeah. the social support. They don't have to actually, but they feel like that's an automatic thing that I'm going to lose all of that support. So I'm not going to let go of that identity. Right. Well, when, when the bond between all of you is the trauma that you share, yeah. You know, and, and oftentimes people hold on to relationships, not just in support groups and whatnot, but they hold on to relationships for the simple idea or complex rather, however you want to, however you want to define that to, to hold someone in your life because they are your historian. They, they remember they were there too. They were traumatized too. They knew you when too. And yes, it's important to reality check. And it's wonderful to have people in our lives who, who knew us when. Yeah. The important piece of that is that they see the then and the now. And what's wonderful about having the right kind of historian is to be like, is for them to be like, Gosh, remember back in the day when that shit happened? You are a fucking bomb now. I wouldn't, the best compliment to me, by the way, is the one that you got when someone said, what the fuck have you been through? You've never been through anything. How wonderful is that? Because my childhood and even my teenage years was a fucking shit show of trauma. Self-induced trauma recapitulating trauma, not knowing how to protect myself, not knowing, but believing that my only worth was in navigating the next traumatic experience. Um, to, to let go of that and to instead be someone in the world who, you know, I always love to say, you know, when everyone, I, I can be at a bar and people think I'm the drunk one and I'm not drinking. Um, it, it's kind of similar in that sense. Like I can be in a room, I can be in a room full of people who have, who are trauma specialists and whatnot. And the best compliment I think I could ever receive is you don't look, you don't seem like you've been through shit in your life. And it's like, well, I guess, cause I'm not looking wounded and I'm not I'm not, I'm not sitting there licking my wounds and I'm not defining myself, even though I'm a trauma specialist, even though I the, the dig and the journey and all of that is there. I do it for the hope and the light and the reality that's on the other side of that. I don't do it because I want to live in a sewer with these people. I do it because I know what it's like to climb out of the sewer and how fucking beautiful life is and how much more you appreciate it when you've been through a sewer to look at yourself and say, yeah, that was gross. That was dirty. That was yucky. That is not me. And I think the worst mind fuck that trauma gives us is that it is an identity. 
that it becomes an identity. I am, I am, I am the sum of every negative thing that's happened to me. Really? Really? So in other words, you're, you're, it's kind of like one of those demotivational posters, right? Like what if your only purpose in life is to show other people is to be a warning for other people of how they don't want to live. You know, it's like, if I'm doing this work and I look like I'm wounded and I'm, I'm, I'm totally destabilized when talking about things that I have so much pride in because, because it doesn't own me. Yeah. It doesn't own me. I took trauma and I made it my bitch. I basically said, you know what? You're going to work for me. That's what's going to happen. I'm going to be stronger because of this. I'm going to learn to be more intuitive because of this. I'm going to take care of myself better because of this. I'm going to appreciate every day of my life more because of this. I am not, I am going to, to take pride in the person I am because of this, because one of the worst things I think that we can believe when trauma happens is that we are broken. Yeah. So I, I mean, I, I, I keep telling people, most people aren't broken. They're just missing skills. You know, it, it's, we get told over and over again that we're broken and you're broken and you're never going to be, you can never be whole. There's the other never, right? Well, you can never yeah. be whole. You can never be whole because you're broken. I, I, as though we're, we're, we're made of China. We're really not. I mean, people don't get how, res- look at how resilient the human body is. Look at how much punishment our bodies will take. So why would anybody think that our spirits and our, you know, emotions and our minds would be less resilient than the actual physical form that we're in? The physical form that we're in is actually the weakest part of us. Yeah. And it's pretty damn resilient. But yet we have this weird idea, you know, we're fed this weird idea that, you know, we're so fragile. And just look at kids who live through trauma. My God, not that I ever, you know, you know, I've done a lot of family court work and I've, I've worked a lot to get kids out of shitty environments and into better ones. So I would never wish that a child stays in a bad environment, but all you have to do is look at kids who have gone through trauma look, and look at the public law system and to see how resilient children can be, even when they don't get intervention that they need. You know, how often kids will bounce out of things. They'll have issues, but there'll be issues that can be handled. They won't be stuck with something forever because we are built to be resilient in the first place. Absolutely. It's one of the, I think, you know, I've said over and over again that, that my clients are some of the most heroic people I've ever met in my entire life. I have heard and been privileged to walk through the journey of hearing things that are absolutely horrific, that I would never wish on any person, uh, any any being. They're they're simply unforgivable, okay? Um, They're atrocities. And yet, who they are, watching them transcend, true transcendence, right? Of I am, I am going to take, I'm not grateful that these things happened to me. I'm not saying, you know, I, this is what I deserved. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful that I was hurt this deeply, but I am grateful to myself 
that it's not about the fall down or, or the knockdown or the beat down. It's about the get up. And that's, that's the, that's the resiliency. That's, that's who you are. You are the one who got up. You are the one who, who not only survived what you did at the time, but now the real get up is recognizing that then and now are not one and the same and that you don't have to carry that with you as a badge of honor or as an identity or as anything. When I think of someone, the word broken, it reminds me of this idea of the word normal. Yeah. What like the fuck? What the fuck is normal? It's a, na- do- it's a mathematical term. That's all it is. Yeah. I'd love to know a person in life who, unless they really, and I was going to say, unless they were in a bubble, you know what? That's its own form of trauma. I'd love to know a person in life who has not endured and walked through a life-changing experience that may not have been as catastrophic as what they compare someone else's to be. And by the way, that's another huge misnomer is that if I, if my trauma doesn't look like this horrific story that someone else has, then mine isn't valid, which is another reason why I have to hold on to mine so deeply because I have to prove, I, I, I need people to recognize that because it, it doesn't look like, you know, skid row, gang rape, whatever. Some of the worst ones I've heard have come at the back of the statement well, it wasn't really anything. Yep. Right. You know, well, I didn't have what that person over there had, you know, and I'm like, and I'm listening to the story going, that's fucking horrific. What are you talking about? But they've told themselves because it didn't look like whatever they heard or whatever they saw. One of my clients, it, it was about, I don't know, three months before the rest of the history came out. And that's really unusual when I'm working with somebody because I usually I usually get it much more. But this person had a problem remembering things sure. like she would just shut down. So getting the memories was like and the story was absolutely horrific. And probably one of the best things I did for her was to reflect that to her. Was like, no, I understand why you shut down now. Mm-hmm. Did you, 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 your brain got really good at protecting you. This is horrific. There's nothing minor about this. You didn't make it up. There's nothing minor. This is absolutely horrific. If you can stay open to the memories long enough, we can clear this out. But it's, it's amazing to me that people will compare. You know what? For some people, the worst trauma that they've experienced is the loss of a loved one. And every one of us will experience that someday. And anybody who says that that isn't catastrophic hasn't yet had somebody die. Yep. And to minimize trauma is another way in which we devalue and traumatize ourselves, right? The idea that it didn't come out until when it did, right? How, how, talk about resiliency, right? It's a different set of skills. Our yes. brains are so freaking amazing. 
our, our, our brain stem, our neurology is so freaking amazing. We know how to protect ourselves to survive. It's incredible. We will, we will suppress memories. We will minimize. We will walk through fire after fire, going through the same process over and over again to show ourselves how strong we are. The idea is we know what we know. We've learned a set of coping skills and we survive because of that set of coping skills until that set of coping skills actually turned, uh, turned itself around and became the very thing that was killing us. Exactly. And, you know, I always say to people, particularly people who dissociate, dissociation is a brilliant, brilliant defense. It's amazing to to be able to actually step out of yourself in order to keep something at a distance is fabulous. It helps people get through the most horrific of things. It sucks when it's automatic because it's when you move on in life, if you're not sitting in your body, you miss out on all sorts of stuff. So it's terrible when it stays automatic, when it's no longer needed, but it was fabulous because it kept you going. So it's like, okay, so let's thank the skill that we got. Let's see if we can get it under conscious control. Like hypervigilance is brilliant. I love hypervigilance. I'll never give that one up. No. It's fantastic to be able to be aware of everything that's going on around me. If I'm in a new area and I'm at night and I'm female and I'm walking by myself to have hypervigilance is great. Hypervigilance is no fun if you're in your house and you want to go to sleep and you can't settle down until you pace the house and check the perimeter. So I no longer have that part of it, but I kept the positive stuff. Took a lot of work for that one. And sometimes the only thing that ever gets triggered for me is that because it's physiological. Occasionally, if I am in a situation where danger happens, that gets triggered and I'll be hypervigilant for a few days. I won't be able to turn it off. And then it'll shut Sure. that's yeah, a wonderful welcome to being human. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's, 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 it's stored in the body you can't, yeah. you know, that, 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 unless you're going to dissociate. Okay. Yeah. That, that's what I mean. When I say make trauma, your bitch, it's, it's, it's look at the, turn the skills, just like you just said around and hypervigilance becomes, I'm going to be, I'm going to protect myself. I'm going to yeah. be aware of my surroundings. Not I'm going to, but, but I'm going to recognize the difference between a flight or fight response and not take that to bed with me so that right. I literally can't heal because right. I'm, I'm awake expecting something horrible to happen as if, I, as if it's going to happen right now today. And actually learn to pay attention to it. So for me now, a million years down the line, um, so most of my major trauma was 1982. So we're 40 years ago now. Wow. Um, so for me now, um, if I get hypervigilant, something's definitely going on. Yep. Like that, that has become an accurate way for my gut to tell me that you need to figure out what the problem is, right? Because there is a problem because it doesn't set off for inappropriate things anymore. Right. I, 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 my brain is the last thing I use, right? Executive functioning, of course, has to be there, but my gut. Yeah. That's always my, that that's it. It's and, 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 and the more honed that is. Everything though, 
people ask me about the therapeutic work I do with people and, and people who have been watching me on television recently. Okay. They only get snippets of what happened, but I probably spent two and a half hours with people over three days. So I wasn't spending a major amount of time, but I was getting crucial bits. And so people are like, Oh my God, you know, how do you figure it out? It's like that. I go completely these days by yeah. my gut. You know, that's the first place. And then I process it up and process the feelings and process it into executive function, check it out, make sure I'm going to act on it in an appropriate way. If it needs an interpretation, needs an interpretation. But it took a lot to be become comfortable doing that when I was talked out of ever using that as a child. Oh, absolutely. Because you if you can't trust yourself, then I mean, what, what a, that, that's the worst that that's the worst. The idea that it's not that you can't trust the son of a bitch who did whatever they did to you. It's that you own that as being your flaw. You can't be trusted. You can't trust you to protect you. You can't keep yourself safe because you're damaged because you, because you are broken because you are, you, 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 you can't trust your own gut. Well, and yet, that starts yeah. earlier. Like that starts with, Oh, um, you know, mom, I don't want to kiss her, kiss auntie so-and-so because she's smelly. And then, oh no, she's not bad. And, you know, yeah, you know, don't hurt her feelings. And your gut is saying, no, this isn't okay. And you're being gaslit. And so you taught most of us still, and I worked really hard to try not to teach my son this, um, gaslight the hell out of kids. And don't pay attention to what they say when they say something about their gut, because we think we know better. Yet, yet the expression out of the mouth of babes, right, yeah. literally comes from the idea that that unjaded, untainted, you know, just from the heart, from the gut, from the soul, right? The best thing, I, I think, honestly, the best form of therapy really is tapping into that, that skill set that we actually get taken away from by allowing someone else to tell us our narrative. And it kind of goes back exactly to what we we're talking about, about, about the idea and the purpose of therapy. If your therapist tells you, or your doctor tells you, you have this disorder, you're going to be managing it for the rest of your life. Okay. I've now, we've now set a course. You now have a belief system that this is going to be a lifelong struggle that will guide every step you take. So just changing the narrative of, no, we're, we're, we're working on an exit. We're not, we're not, we're not looking at to stay and, and manage this. We are looking to leave this yes. and to take, to take, to take the good, to take the skills that we've yes. honed out of it yep. and, and leave the shit behind and you are not the shit, you know? Um, it's incredible when we give our narrative away, when we allow someone else to tell our story. And as children, we don't know better, of course. We're, you know, they're the adult, they're the authority, but not trusting yourself, not, and being trained from a young age not to do that. Um, we, we, we capitulate that over and over again in adulthood, where we, what do we know? Well, in all sorts of areas of our lives, I mean, it, it, you know, there are places where I where I can see that, you know, the number of times you have a gut impulse on something, purchasing something. OK, mm -hmm. 
yeah, this probably isn't going to be the right thing, or this class isn't going to do the right thing, or this probably isn't, you know, oh, but you know, you get talked into it. And so you go ahead and do it. And then it's like, well, that was a waste of time, energy, effort. Well, you didn't listen to yourself. Yep. The greatest mistakes we ever make are when we have that gut instinct and we talk ourselves out of it. Yeah. And, and I see people do that with dating more than anything at relationships oh and God, yeah. anything else. You know that the narrative is he's a nice guy. She's a nice girl. They're a nice person. And the number of people who still need a reason to leave a relationship. And I'm flabbergasted. We're in 2022 and they still need a reason. You don't need a reason beyond that. This isn't working for you and you're not happy. Those are the only reasons you need. Now, if you have three kids and they're little kids and with some work, this might work, then probably you should do therapy because it's good for kids to have both their parents if they can, right? So there are times where you should try to make it work or you should see if you can get some help. Right. But, But if it really isn't working and everybody's unhappy, let it go. Move. Go on. Everybody. And and I'm I'm amazed at how often people will, the reasons people give me, well, it's not a good enough reason. What? Because they didn't hit you. So it's not a good enough reason to leave. They make you feel small every single day, but that's not a good enough reason to leave. Because trauma looks like this. This is what it looks like. Yeah. Yeah. This is, it has to get this bad. It has to look this bad in order for me to honor my gut. It has to, it has to look a certain way in order for me to trust myself and my instinct. And the reality is, is that when we in relationship with another is where we actually learn the most about ourselves. So when we feel massively uncomfortable in a relationship and maybe it's that maybe they are wonderful, but we have work to do. doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be they're a bad person. It could also no. be, is it right for me at this time? Exactly. Or this isn't right for me, period. You know, why are you trying to make a round peg go into a square hole? That's never going to work. That doesn't make anybody bad or wrong or horrible or, you know, broken or substandard. It just means these pieces don't fit together. Or I don't want to hurt them. So I don't want to leave them because I don't want to hurt them as if staying, as if, yeah, yeah. As if staying in a relationship where you are actively unhappy, isn't hurtful. You're losing days of your life. We're but both- also I mean, you're not appreciating them. If you don't love the person right. and you're, and you don't, you don't find them wonderful and you don't look forward to spending time with them, then you're hurting them by staying with them because you're denying them the opportunity to have somebody in their life who adores them. And everybody should have that if it's possible. Absolutely. 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 I mean, again, it comes down to the narrative, what we believe, what we tell ourselves, what we've been taught in our family of origin, in our environment, whatever, you know, it could be generational, but you know, for a lot of people, divorce is not an option. It's just not an option. No matter what, you don't divorce. You don't divorce, no matter what. Kids or not, you don't divorce, right? Well, okay. Um, so since when w- did a relationship 
become a life sentence? Since when did, you know, since when did loving somebody become an imprisonment? That in an ideal, not even ideal, in a, in a healthy functioning relationship, that is where you feel the most free to be yeah. you. Yeah. Not, not where you're trying to choose your words or trying not to leave or trying to convince yourself to stay or trying to, trying to show love that you don't actually feel. My God, I mean, there's work that goes into relationship, absolutely. But the work is in keeping the connection and the love and the communication and all of that, the work is in the, is in the play right? Again, the work and the player should be one in the same. You know, you work to communicate because you reap the benefits of this awesome relationship where you are free. If you're working and working at something and it's not working, you leave. It's, it's, we deserve to be free. We deserve to be free, free of our trauma, free of our, free of, we deserve to be free. Trauma is not a life sentence. Wrong relationships are not a life sentence. You know, there's nobody on this planet who hasn't experienced something life altering. And we all will if we're lucky enough to live another day. So let it alter you for the better. There are no prizes out in the end for suffering. Oh my God. I. I was literally, you're amazing. I talk about the collective unconscious, okay? I literally was going to say a few moments ago and I lost my train of thought. One of the things that I will say to clients is you don't get an award. There is no badge that you wear that says, I did this the hard way. I did this the hardest way I could. I, I went through this much suffering. I did, you know, no one's given out trophies for that. No, 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 there's, there's no, there's no prize for suffering the most. The prize of suffering is to free yourself from suffering and live the life, live the life you deserve to live. There's your prize. Yeah. Absolutely. And it's really about the stories we tell ourselves, isn't it? Like, um, you know, when we talk about big T trauma and little T trauma, it's all about the stories and the comparison and, and even in relationships, you know, and hanging on to that shame and our trauma. It's all part of the narrative that we tell ourselves and just just like writing that story, we can change that page any day and, and let it go. Yeah. Especially, especially if you're working with someone who if we are going to be fortunate enough to be chosen to be on that journey with our clients, you're working with somebody who tells you that freedom is not only possible, but freedom is the goal and that we're looking toward the exit. We're not, we're not here to wallow. Well, you know, like, you know, parenthood is planned obsolescence, right? Mm -hmm. Right. Because they're supposed to grow up and leave that, you know, you've done your job when they are, you know, feeling good and confident and they're going to go have a life beyond you. I don't see it as a therapist any different. It's just it's a shorter sentence. Um, you know, I don't expect you can love me forever if you want. Right. That's cool. I'll have and I can have the same love for you forever and we can even communicate. But you don't have to stay my client to communicate with me. Right. But I don't 
I want to be obsolete. That's my job is to be putting myself out of a job. That's the way that I. That's right. The goal, the goal is that they internalize and understand the tools that they have had all along and that their voice, you know, for first our voice replaces their voice and then their voice replaces the negative voice that they once had. And now what they're hearing in their mind is a combination of our reparenting, our reworking, our, our, our journeying with them and telling themselves a new narrative, but their voice remains the loudest and their voice remains the strongest and their voice remains dignified and trusted. And that is the goal. And to have as much fucking fun after that as you can. Because if at the end of the day, the prize isn't to live a life that fulfills you and that is fun and exciting and joyful, then by God, don't sign yourself up for therapy. Because, you know, what's the goal in doing that? You're going to dig deep. It's going to hurt hard and you're never going to get out of it. Uh, I, I would never do that. I would never ask somebody to do that. That to me sounds like a punishment. Therapy is not a punishment. Therapy is free, is freedom. Working on yourself and allowing things that were taken from you to become your greatest assets. That is why we do therapy. We do therapy, we do therapy so that we can have our whole selves and hold on to all the wonderful qualities that make us us and then go live it. It's not to stay in the therapy room it's not okay. to stay on that surgery table. It's you're done. Go run with your new set of legs. You know, you're, you're not, you're not broken. Get, get ready. You want to sprint, sprint. You want a marathon, marathon. You're not a, you, 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 don't, you don't like running, don't run. But regardless, you now have whatever tools you need and you've had them all along. And thank you for allowing me, us to show you that to show you who you really are, not the bullshit you've carried around in your head that doesn't belong to you. And just uh, like connecting to our joy, uh, we share music in every episode uh, of Get Real with Dr. Ron A. Now, Laurie Breath, what's your song that you've chosen? Oh, my God. You know, I had such difficulty with this. Usually I get the assignment so well because my stuff, it varies for me. Um, So... um, I've got so many that are important, but given what we're talking about today, um, the song This Is Me from The Greatest Showman is probably the one that I, I think is is the best I'm done with trauma song ever, mm. really. I love it. Love it. I love it. it. You know, it's a liberation song. And I think that, but it also, it really speaks to the authenticity part, which I think is so important because so often that's part of what we're, we're uncovering mm. is figuring out, letting somebody actually giving them permission to live as their full authentic self. Mm. And Ronay, your song. My song is Dare You to Move by Switchfoot. Nice. Uh, and my song uh, for this episode is Rise by Katy Perry. You'll find those on Spotify by just searching for Get Real with Dr. Ron A. You'll find the playlist there as it grows through the podcast. Uh, and also the meditation for this episode, Let Go of Limiting Beliefs. How appropriate is that one? You'll find that on Insight Timer.
Thanks for getting real with us, Dr. Rone. Thank you for getting real with me. Um, Dr. Lori Beth, you are an exceptional human, and I am so privileged to have had another opportunity to speak with you. And um, to the clients listening out there, this is, this is what you're looking for. This is what you're looking for. This is when you know you found it, is when it sounds like this. So now you, now you have a paradigm. Thank you for tuning in to Get Real with Dr. Ronay. If you've loved the show and would like to experience coaching with coaches like Dr. Ronay or Bindi through Live Treatment Concierge Services, visit livetreatmentvip.com. Are you passionate about saving the planet for future generations? Do you want to learn how to do it? If yes, then you need to tune in to the Nature Back podcast. It's a talk show covering the changing world around us. From renewable energy, sustainable agriculture, circular economy, to ESG and social innovation. Don't miss this opportunity to discover how you can join the movement and make a difference. Subscribe to the Nature Back podcast today on your favorite platform and get ready to be amazed. Ever thought about starting your own podcast? Do you have a business or a message you want to share with the world? Well, now it's easier than ever with Electricast. Hi, I'm Mark Netter. And I'm Peter Rafelson. We're the founders of Electricast Media. Whether you want to start a new podcast or already have one, join Electricast to grow your audience, monetize your content, and build your community. With our simple sign-up, you get free promotion, world-class analytics, premium ads, and personal support. Go to Electricast.com and join our community today. Electricast. Transform your influence. Electricast.